Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. Um, I'd actually just rather do this anonymously. I just... I mean, you can call me Victor. Victor, you know, yeah. We're all named Victor. I had known about other mousetraps. I had heard grumblings of it, and it seemed like a pretty easy gig, you know. You're just sort of hanging out. There's a lot of, like, just sort of hurrying up and wait. It seemed like a fine gig. I was actually one of the first in my family to be individually wrapped. Oh. So, I get it. Humans have warm houses. They're cozy. They don't want a little house mouse who's going to do 40 to 110 droppings and micro droppings per day. I got it. You don't want them. They maybe carry the plague. We don't know. But beyond that? Beyond the plague. I don't understand why this is my battle to fight. I don't want to be used against the mouse. And that's all I'm saying. I'm sorry, are you counting the droppings? I don't have much else to do. Can I Can I ask, and this feels like maybe a weird place to start, um, have you killed a mouse in, in your life? N- no, not yet. But you have been set. You are, you are set. I was set three and a half weeks ago. Okay. You know, up until then, I was a really chill mousetrap, really relaxed. I looked forward to waking up every morning. What was the day going to bring? Was I going to be sitting on the shelf uh, at the Home Depot for another few months, year? Or was I going to go somewhere? I finally got picked up. I was in the Home Depot in the Mission District, San Francisco, and brought to the common kitchen room of a hostel on Valencia on 16th, which is where I've been since then, just on the counter right behind the toaster oven. Uh-huh. It's one of those kind of hostels. Yeah. And I, I, I imagine that there are, you do encounter a lot of uh, mice and other vermin at, in a hostel situation. It's a very hostile situation. So soon after I arrived, the lady who runs the hostel, Gudrun, she's Swiss Swiss German. She pulled back my killer bar. Mm -hmm. And since then, I have been on edge, like ready to snap. Literal and physical tension. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like full catastrophe lifestyle. So of course, when Gudrun took me out of the package and I saw, oh wow, I'm in a kitchen, this is gonna be a lot of action here. I probably won't be here long, so I'm just going to take it all in. I saw her opening up the cupboard, and I was just like, oh, she's going to bait me. Like, this is it. This is when it happens. This Mm. is how this happens. This Mm -hmm. this is when I get baited. And there's always talk about what it's going to be. And I was hoping against hope that it wasn't peanut butter, because I'm ironically allergic to peanuts. 
and I saw her bring out um, a jar that looked like peanut butter, but then she opened it up, and to my absolute pleasure, it was almond butter. Uh. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those poorly wrapped gifts in life. I'm beginning to suspect that mice don't like almond butter. And the issue now, why there's so much urgency, is it's only a matter of time before Gudrun also realizes that mice don't fancy almond butter. I don't think a lot of people like almond butter either. No? They have so much of it at the hostel. I think actually almond butter may be the thing that that keeps you safe. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how life works? Mm. (laughs) I think about the lowland hills of eastern Pennsylvania where I'm from. You know, I come from a very large family tree, uh, over 100 feet. Literally a tree. Yes. I had about 35 years to mature, to be with my brethren and sistren. One day I knew I would be chopped down and I got that. That was my purpose. I felt happy to have a purpose. Do you know how easy it is in life when you just have one thing you wanna do and you don't have to question anything? You don't have to learn anything. You don't have to ask anyone's permission. There's just this thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. Simple. And there, you know, for a tree, there are so many possibilities mm. for what you could have been. Mm-hmm. Some other particles I know, some other planks went to Ikea. Okay. Uh, some went for firewood. Some went to end up as Jenga. To me, that feels like that would be the dream. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. People are laughing and playing. You're bringing joy. There's excitement. There's some downtime. And you never really get thrown out. Yeah. And in a way, I think, I don't know, but it seems like you would um, over and over get to f- at least get a little bit of the feeling of being reconstituted into a tree because the pieces would sort of make a trunk again. Wow. You see, I never even thought about that. Yeah, that's all you're doing is really shining a light for me on the problem with my situation. So there's a there's a phrase that humans say a lot: uh, "Build a better mousetrap." And the the whole phrase is, "Build a better mousetrap, and the world will beat its path to your door." <laughs> it's often it's attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, I don't think he ever said it, but. I think about like when when you hear that, when you hear that humans are walking around saying build a better mousetrap, what what's your first reaction to that? I mean, externally I'm you really can't improve upon the mousetrap that I am. Now, internally, yeah, I'm a mouse. Oh my god. I'm a codependent. Uh, I have anger issues. Have you ever read the book Codependent No More? I have I've not. I haven't either. But I know that it's about codependency and that you shouldn't do it anymore. Uh, Hello? Hello, I'm calling for Ollie. Hi, is that Ian? It is. Hello. Hi, nice to speak to you. Ollie, why don't you just introduce yourself for people listening? 
So I'm uh, Ollie Douglas, and I'm a curator of the Museum of English Rural Life, which is part of the University of Reading in uh, England in the UK. Ollie, I'm calling you because you have something there at the museum called the Perpetual Mousetrap. Yes. Uh, it came out in 1861. It is such a poetic title for a mousetrap. Um, how did it get that name? It's called the perpetual mousetrap because it has a sort of mechanism in the center of it, which means that when it traps one mouse, you don't then need to reset it or do anything for it to be set to trap another one. I see. Um, so the idea was that you would check it on a daily basis, and you might have even caught two mice. Um, so you check it and, and then release the mice uh, in a humane way. Just uh, That's the idea, anyway. Just perpetually catching mice forever and yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> Does it still work? Uh, our we know for a fact that our perpetual mousetrap does still work because a couple of years ago now I was looking in the stores for a particular object and I was looking on the shelf next door to the where most of our mousetraps are stored. So these are our reserved collections and we were actually uh, closed at that point for the redevelopment of our displays and galleries. And in the perpetual mousetrap, in our version of the perpetual mousetrap, I found uh, a dead mouse. <laughs> so actually, this was a mouse that had broken into the museum somehow, found its way rather unfortunately into our historic collection of mouse traps. And we have over a hundred of them, so it probably wasn't a particularly safe space for a mouse to be in. Really, the worst place. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this this mouse trap just lying in wait for years and years before finally finding a victim. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the mouse uh, is now on display in the mousetrap, in the sort of welcome area of our museum, in the very first case you see as you come in, it'll, it'll be here in perpetuity in the perpetual mousetrap. Okay, so, so you have all these mousetraps at the museum. Are there other types of traps you have there? Uh, we have a huge range of different traps, and actually on, on display in the museum we have a good range of those, and those cover quite a wide range of animals that were traditionally trapped, and that might include hawk traps, rat traps as well as mouse traps, a wide range of sort of snare traps and mole traps, and and also perhaps most surprisingly we have man traps, which were until 18, around 1827 were perfectly legal, these sort of giant jawed traps designed to catch poachers and, and, and severely maim them, if not potentially kill them. And they were just, they were just called man traps? Yes, ma yeah, man traps. And actually, we have a, uh, a sort of later version of, of that technology, a humane man trap. So it probably just broke the leg of the poacher rather than severed it. I feel like I should just ask, none of the man traps in your museum have caught any, any museum goers? <laughs> Thankfully not. Victor, you're in this kitchen, um, and you've you've seen mice, I imagine. I sure have. I don't know if they're a lot or it's just one all the time, but yeah, they're eating little crumbs. They're crawling at stuff. They're they're 
they're not trying to hurt anyone. They're minding their own business. What it's about is it's just the survival of the man, you know? They're just the working class, I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, of the animal kingdom. Are there things about mice that you've observed that maybe we humans wouldn't get to see? Um, I don't know how good your hearing is, but mice, when they're trying to attract a mate, actually sing a beautiful song and a pitch that humans can't hear. And this song is so rapturous, so delicate, so intoxicating. They're very romantic. I so I know that birds will sing songs when mating, but you're saying mice also sing songs. Yeah. I don't know whose songs they are. I don't know if they wrote them themselves. I don't know if they're all singing the same song. It seems like they're all singing the same song. You know, I'm, uh, just look this up. There's actually, there's a recording of these songs. Looks like uh, they recorded it and dropped it down in pitch so that humans can perceive it. I'll, uh, I'll play some of it. It's crazy to think about that there is this thing going on all the time that we can't perceive. That there are, there are literally, there are love songs happening beneath our feet and in the walls of our apartments. Um, and we, we just were not aware of it. I don't know. I, you would have told me three months ago that I'd feel this way about mice. I, I would have called you a liar or an idiot. A good for nothing, a louse, a louse about, a lazy about, a lazy, a louse, a lice. I would have called you a name about it, but now I hear that singing. And it broke me out. I was bred to be a killer. I'm, you know, a killing machine. But something about me, my circumstance, what I'm realizing now that I'm awake, my eyes are open to it, mice are really rad. I guess the big question is, what do you do when the thing you were made to do is the last thing you want to do? Yeah, man. Why do we have to kill mice? Why do I have to kill mice? Why can't I instead be a utensil that you use to scrape gum off of the bottom of your shoe? Maybe I'm a paperweight. Maybe you can give me the kids to play with if you put some packaging tape, enough packaging tape to, to, to make the... the killer bar softer so it won't hurt their little fingers so much. I don't think that's a good idea. There's a lot of things I could be and let's just ask that question. You could maybe use me to catch, oh, catch elves at Christmas, you know, just set me up and put me on the mantle and like, oh, where's that? There's an elf in the house. So you could do that. You could put some perfume on me and hang me on your rearview mirror as a scent for your car if you're a smoker. A metronome for a song that's only one note long. Oh my god, 
If you don't have a belt, you could just take me and clamp my kill bar onto your pants, kind cinch, cinch them, yeah. yeah, kind of cinch them and do that. And then you don't even have to do a belt, which is, I think for a lot of people would be, you know, fashion forward. And then also just like utilitarian, I could do the talking circuit, like lectures. I could be a wall hanging. I could be a tiny cheese plate for mm-hmm. guests. You could paint me and put me on the windowsill at a hospital to cheer people up. Why not a Jenga tower of mousetraps? You could probably buy enough mousetraps to make a Jenga game. And then there's like a third dimension to it, which is like, oh, also like when you move the thing, don't just not let the tower fall over, but also don't get snapped. It adds uh, some stakes to the game. Oh. You mentioned that Emerson quote earlier. Mm-hmm. There's actually a quote of his that I use as a as a map. To be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Hmm. I sounds so cheesy when I say it. It didn't sound so earnest in my head. But you know what I mean? This is Everything is Alive. The show is produced by Jennifer Mills and me, Ian Chillog. This taping was directed by Mackenzie Chung-Fagan. Thanks, as always, to Emily Spivak. The Anonymous Mousetrap was played by Mel Shimkovitz. Mel is an artist working in the medium of television. She's a writer and an actor. She is a uh, generally unclassifiable, wonderful person. Special thanks to Ollie Douglas of the Museum of English Rural Life for talking to us about the ancient, but apparently still functional, perpetual mousetrap, and also man traps. And we should say we learned about the mating songs of mice from a team at Duke University, which discovered and recorded them. Most of this episode was recorded at Studio 44 in Brooklyn, New York. Music in this episode from Thomas Tallis, Chad Crouch, and Blue Dot Sessions. Everything is Alive is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, Julie Shapiro, Vice President of Editorial, and Audrey Martovich, Senior Director of Content, both of whom practice the catch-and-release method of producing. You can get in touch with us any number of ways at everythingsalive.com. We'll see you soon. Radiotopia.